right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of True Cold Case Files right here on Anchor and wherever you can find your favorite podcast. And this is actually our final episode of True Cold Case Files. I'm joined here today with Nick Wagler over there in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. How you doing, Nick? Doing wonderful today. How about yourself? Eh, doing all right, considering I have to go to work in a couple hours. It's... uh. It's a very interesting situation because it's my night shift, and I work pretty much uh, from I work from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. tonight, and then tomorrow I'll be working from 10 to 7. So this will be interesting, but um, yeah, it's been a very interesting 72 hours to say the least. Yeah, I believe that after all those. <laughs> all those conversations we've had within the last few days that's for sure <laughs> absolutely and yeah and like also too like um it, you know i've been trying to get everything together uh to help with this episode today and also trying to make sure that our listeners are provided the best quality program today and in the future and we'll go over that here in just a little bit um we've got a lot to cover uh regarding the new changes that are coming up and yeah so there's that um but yeah i do kind of want to start talking to people about the changes that are coming to our podcast now if you were expecting any kind of true crime discussion, uh, this isn't the episode for it, unfortunately, because right now we want to make sure that our listeners are ready to transition with us into the future. And we can only do that uh, by talking to you guys about it. So, uh, Nick, what do you think, man? I think it's time to turn over a new leaf and, you know, give everybody the, the best they can get from us. And, you know, it's it's kind of exciting. It's a little bittersweet at the same time. But, you know, it's, you know, maybe a, a better option for us to get ourselves out there and to really give our audience what they're looking for and not just, you know, two guys talking about true crime. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, and that's the thing is that, you know, a lot of people out there didn't think we were really listening to them when they were bringing in their suggestions and their thoughts on the program. And, you know, there were hiccups along the way while we were working on these episodes, uh, like sound quality and stuff like that. And we wanted to make sure that our listeners understood we were listening to them as well. They weren't just listening to us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that being said, I want to talk to everybody about our new program coming up. And when I said that today is our final episode of True Cold Case Files, we mean it. Um, and it is unfortunate. As, as Nick said, it is a bittersweet moment for us. Um, we didn't expect to change our name and expect to go forward with some pretty drastic changes. But I believe that at a time when we're planning to reinvent ourselves to start a new podcast, we have to do that. Um, and True Cold Case Files has been a name that has been synonymous with me for the last probably year and a half going on two years now because I had always talked about having a podcast 
dedicated to talking about true crime. Granted, we're not like in the same wavelength as like my favorite murder or last podcast on the left, uh, stuff like that. But we want to make sure that we had a podcast that was dedicated to the missing, the murdered, and the unidentified cases that most people probably had never heard of before. And I believe we were able to successfully give our listeners that. Don't you think, Mm -hmm. Nick? Yeah, just like I remember on the first one that we did together on the Singer Island Jane Doe, there was very, very little information about her back when they put her on NamUs. Well, at least when they got that new rendering of her done and then had uh, Nick Mech take the case too. You know, there was virtually nothing available on her and we were able to kind of do some deep digging and, and I think that really helped bring that case some attention with all that we did. So I'm... That's definitely one important case that I remember we worked on. Yeah, absolutely. And that was back when uh, Daisy was still on the program, and we were talking about Singer Island Jane Doe, you and I, and we were able to get the conversation turning on that one because after that episode and we released the newspaper clippings to the public, uh, more people started talking about it, and more people were talking about you know Terry Wayne Walker and the and the girl that went missing in Michigan uh when he was you know lurking around um mm-hmm. and we just heard a lot of new names just in that just in that discussion alone and we were able to bring it all up and mm-hmm. it was a very exciting time and then fast forward to earlier this year when we brought Nick on after Daisy decided to um, move on to other things, um, you you came on and you filled in pretty good. And in fact, you've been a great fit for True Cold Case Files and the podcast itself uh, since then. So it's great that you've tagged along for the ride with me. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that so much. Like I, I had so much fun doing the Tiffany Sessions episode and then with the Cameron Mitchell one to follow that and you know of course the walker county jane doe case that was i remember with uh my interview with carl koppelman like we talked for about an hour before we even started recording (laughs) and then (laughs) and that whole thing after that you know once i hit the record button that lasted for three hours and it was just it was amazing just to you know dig deep into what he thought about the case and and just how you know he got started with with the true crime community and it was it opened up a lot of new things for me, and that's something I'll always be grateful for. Yeah, absolutely, and I enjoyed the interview, and a lot of people did too. And uh, in fact, a, a lot of people have listened to that episode of uh, of in depth uh, on the Carl Koppelman episode, which uh, turned out to be pretty dang good, considering the equipment that we were working with at the time. <laughs> uh, yep. But as of today, you know, that episode's had over a thousand plays, and it's just going up from there. So, um, you know, and, and, and honestly, you know, I think the whole in-depth feature that we've had has definitely helped to contribute to our podcast and not only contributed to our podcast but it also contributes something to the true crime community to the web sleuthers out there and um gives them some more information and to hear it 
from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than that, folks, um, with that, we're going to start talking about the upcoming changes here. And, yeah, like I said, it's going to be our final time recording under the True Cold Case Files banner. Because as soon as this episode is released, we're going to be changing our name everywhere. On Anchor, we're going to be changing our name on Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. And the unfortunate thing about it right now is that we still don't have any cover art for the new logo or anything like that. We still don't have a new logo. Um, But we'll go over that in just a few minutes. Uh, But with that, I want to go ahead and introduce to our listeners our new name. And we're going to be recording as From the Vault, a true crime podcast. Now, one of the, like I said, one of the reasons that we decided on changing the name of the show was because we're going to be moving forward in a new direction with our program. And not only that, too, but uh, I've noticed in the past people have been confusing us for the A&E television show, Cold Case Files. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of gives us a little bit more publicity, but at the same time, we don't want to get sued, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're, um, so yeah, we don't want to get sued by A&E, and um, we don't want to, you know, cause any conflict with them, so we've decided to go ahead and switch our name over, so that way our listeners are not confusing us with the same program that is on A&E, and Though we've got some great quality sh- episodes, you know, just like the television show, we've we just want to make sure that we're not confusing anybody. <laughs> I know, like you were saying too, people were asking you when the the next season of the reboot was coming up, and <laughs> I mean, yeah. as, as far as I know, that was just you know a one season thing, mm-hmm. but uh, but still, I mean. Despite the fact that it was a very, very good show, you know, we've got to kind of try to break out from from that mm-hmm. that confusing title that we're not <laughs> affiliated with, you know? Absolutely, I, I agree. Yeah, and we're going to definitely maintain our individuality on the show. We're not going to be under some stupid nicknames or anything like that. We're just going to continue the show as Jason and Nick, so... Um, you know, it's same. So basically it's going to be a new show, but same host. So, uh, there's that. And we also want to, we also want to make sure our listeners understand this, that the main focus of the show remains the same. We're covering cases that our listeners have never heard of or have rarely heard of. Meaning, you know, we've got listeners on here who, listen to a wide range of things they can keep up with our disappearances our murders and our unidentified cases Um, and i know it's a lot to you know sink in because there are three different types of crimes but at the same time we've also got listeners who like to stay true to something that they're more familiar with like they prefer to listen to our doe cases over our missing cases or some people prefer to listen to our our cold case homicide episodes versus our missing and unidentified cases so um and and that's something that we want to do is we want to bring a unique situation here we want to bring something unique to each episode to each case because we want to 
and, and I don't like to use this term, Nick, but I want to make it fun for everyone listening, even though it's not a fun topic. Yeah, and I think it mostly just stems from interest and fascination. You know, it's not like... It's a different kind of enjoyment. It's not necessarily fun, but it's, you know, it's something that you can really identify with and, I guess, enjoy the fascination that you have with mm-hmm. it and the emotions involved in that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's what we want to bring to the table is to be able to feed everyone's fascinations, but also understand that this is not an entertainment show. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to you know, laugh and giggle and make jokes, even though occasionally we do that on here. But for the most part, this is more informational and this is more of a serious program than maybe, you know, my favorite murder or last podcast on the left where they do tend to use humor and entertainment as a means of, uh, you know, light, lighting, lightening up the mood. But for us, we take these cases very seriously and we don't like to really joke around when it comes to covering these cases. Yeah, there's really nothing funny about a cold case or, you know, uh any kind of disappearance or murder, you know, it's it's a very touchy subject and you know, I I've noticed too now that, you know, I've really gotta start kind of refraining from sharing all these details with, you know, my my friend group back home just because they're not used to necessarily uh, seeing this content on their Facebook news feed. And <laughs> one of my well, friends, yeah, it was one of my friends point blank asked me a few years ago, are you going to become a serial killer? And I'm like, no, I'm interested in solving crimes, not creating them. You know, it's, yeah. Exactly. You know, a lot of people, you know, especially it's kind of it kind of gets awkward on dates when I tell them that I'm also a true crime podcaster and that I've also done sleuthing for the last decade and maybe some change. And uh, they're like, well, you're not going to, like, take me out to the woods and kill me, are you? I'm like, no, no, not me. (laughs) I think you could probably take me to the woods and kill me more than I would probably do it to you. So, uh, you know, both of our anxiety levels are up. So it it gets – it's hilarious, but we know we're just both joking. But at the same time, you know, I'm just like – Sometimes I got to be careful how much information I discuss with total strangers or, hell, even my own family. So even though my family kind of works in a certain way, so, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm sure, like, some of my family members get a little tired of hearing about these. <laughs> you know, I'd go for a walk with my mom and I'd be discussing this this case and she just kind of like nod her head and okay this is getting too depressing let's talk about something else yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've i've oh i've also run in that into that too with others and then when i know i'm tiring out the subject with my friends then i move on to another topic like sports or something you know go from decomposition discussion to oh who's gonna win the super bowl this year yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, but yeah, so like I said, we're basically we're basically going to retain our individuality. We're going to cover cases that our listeners have never heard of or rarely heard of, and one of those particular cases we're going to open up this new program with is the murder of Robert and Frida Wheatley of Portland, Oregon. 
Robert was a 61-year-old man, Frida a 69-year-old woman. They were married for almost 40 years, I believe. It's a very, very sad story because, you know, they lived in a quiet neighborhood in North Portland, just off Holman, Holman Street, and, uh, you know, they were trying to sell their house, they were trying to get their stuff together, and, well, somebody came by the house one day interested in purchasing the the property. They let this individual in, and then, before you know it, uh, they're their daughter had requested a welfare check because they hadn't heard from Robert or Frida in days. And then when the Portland Police Bureau shows up at the house, they see the front door was unlocked, the house was ransacked, and then when they thought they checked everywhere, they forgot to check the basement. And when they checked the basement, Robert and Frida were there tied up and strangled to death. They were, they were dead, and they had been dead for a few days. That's got to be a family's worst nightmare, honestly. You know, it's, you know, every time I'd see, like, episodes of Forensic Files or Cold Case Files, they're interviewing family members. Some of uh, them had actually discovered the bodies, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that stays with you forever. And a lot of those, um, a lot of those loved ones had a lot of difficulty trying to, I guess, revisit that discovery or... Yeah. Or when they had first heard, and it's it's devastating. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because I was able to recently uh, reach out to Randy Copenhaven, who is the, uh, the son of Robert and Frida Wheatley, and he mentioned that it's been a nightmare trying to deal with police in this case because there's so much information on this case that a book or even a short movie could be written on this and he wants to make sure that their case is solved at some point and that they get some kind of suspect in on this because they you know he says that he's kind of getting exhausted from having to talk about this all the time because it's a really dark chapter in their family lives that they really don't necessarily care to revisit but he's made an exception for us because this is the very first time their case has been brought to a national spectrum because you know we have listeners across the country and around the world and when your case is brought on this episode be assured it's going to be listened to by somebody throughout the United States, in all 50 states, Canada, Mexico, Australia, Europe, Finland, Denmark, all those places. So uh, he he's very comforted to know that we're going to be covering the case and that we are going to put special emphasis on Robert and Frida as our opening episode. Yeah, and I think that's really important. You know, and it's that, that's already past the 32nd anniversary, am I correct? Correct. Yeah, they yeah. were found in August of 88. Yeah, it's just unreal to think, you know, it's been this long and there's there's so little information publicly, you know, about this. You know, I'd never heard of this case until you brought it up and then we kept having to postpone it because we didn't have enough to do an episode. But, you know, it's if there's, as you said, you know, there's enough about this case that, you know, a movie or a book could be written, you know, it's definitely something we need to 
at least bring into the public spotlight so that maybe, you know, sometimes sometimes crimes can be solved or at least assisted with, you know, amateur sleuths online. You know, this there's been countless John and Jane Doe's who have been identified. There have been missing people who have been located because of amateur online sleuths and you know and that's usually how a lot of us start out you know i remember being uh 17 and scrolling through the doe network every single day in my <laughs> junior my uh it was my senior year of high school and i was sending all these updates and potential matches like there was no tomorrow because i was just so fascinated mm, yeah did you ever scroll through the doe, doe network in high school like at the high school oh yeah Oh yeah. <laughs> I wonder if like the IT administrator was scratching their head when they were seeing your <laughs> digital footprint. <laughs> I really hope not. I know like I would be working on Wikipedia articles too like I wrote um I wrote the Wikipedia articles on like uh Lady of the Dunes and uh mm-hmm. and Little Miss Lake Panasofsky that year and my friends would be, you know, sitting next to me looking at what I'm doing. <laughs> Just <laughs> Yeah, it was, oh. it was it was interesting. Yeah, I, and you know what's funny too is um, you know I I more or less started doing the same thing on and off, although it wasn't that deep. Like for me, it w- I was always hooked to the cold case listings in uh, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's database or the Missing Children's website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more hooked to that. In fact, that was when I started getting a little taste of what was to come in my future because when I was in college I learned about the Lake City John Doe case from my instructor kind of anyways Mm -hmm. he showed us how to use the uh, missing persons database a little more in depth about how you can go from missing in danger to runaways to uh, natural disaster victims to Mm -hmm. the unidentified And he explained briefly what an unidentified person was, and it was an individual who had whose body was found, but could not be accounted for. So, um, when I got out of that school, that that uh, class that day, I decided to go online and see if there were any unidentified person cases in Columbia County, Florida. And when I did, that was when I first got my glimpse of. The Lake City John Doe case. Little did I know I would spend almost an entire decade trying to help solve that case. Yeah. And, you know, after so many discussions with retired deputies, investigators, um, and even perusing the crime scene, uh, it was my notes that helped solve that case on Web Sleuths. And I was just like, Wow, mm-hmm. like that that blew my mind, especially when I heard it from uh, Richard Laster when we had a phone conversation one day because uh, I'm still really good friends with the Laster family and they've been able to really keep me updated on the proceedings involving Ronnie Hyde, which he's expected to go to trial in September should uh, COVID let up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I know now that you mentioned, too, that, you know, you followed that case for 10 years, I remember, um, you know, I was just out of sixth grade, and I had seen a Forensic Files episode on the, it was the Krista Harrison case, and which, and we are going to do an episode on that eventually, but I remember I started researching that case a lot more uh, deeper when I started seventh grade, 
and uh, and that's actually how I got more involved in cold case research as far as you know unsolved murders went, and that's how I got introduced to the Amy Mahalovic case, which I have now been following for half of my life. I was uh, <laughs> I was 12 years old at the time, and now I'm 24. So it's wow. it's it's pretty unreal you know that it's it's <laughs> gone on for this long you know it's yeah absolutely like that's the thing about about those kind of cases is that you have one case that sticks to you mm-hmm. and then from then on it becomes an addiction and it uh for me it has and for you it has and i'm sure it's the same for countless others who either listen to our podcast or people who just, you know, peruse the web sleuths or crime watchers boards mm-hmm. quite a bit, you know, spend a good deal of their life just trying to figure out these cases and trying to help solve them. And you know what's very interesting is I just finished watching the HBO documentary I'll Be Gone in the Dark about the Golden State Killer and Michelle McNamara, God bless her, she was probably the the sleuth because um, she does, she did exactly kind of like what you and I did, but she did it on a more intense level to where she may as well have been wearing a badge. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, I think honestly, if it wasn't for Michelle McNamara, the Golden State Killer would still be on the loose today. And I remember there was, it was one of the few cases that, uh, that Cold Case Files had profiled years ago that wasn't solved you know they they did a a few episodes of unsolved cases and that was one of them and it just brought chills to my spine when i listened to those recordings of him on somebody's answering machine whispering i'm gonna kill you and you know to know that person has more than likely been captured and will spend the rest of his life in prison is definitely a great feeling Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, it was a definitely bittersweet, too, because considering the fact that, you know, Michelle McNamara literally spent the rest of her life trying to catch this guy and only for him to be caught after she passed away, uh, really, really bittersweet mm-hmm. because, you know, um, her her husband, uh, Patton Oswalt, I'm sure a lot of you guys know him as this uh, famous comedian slash actor, he... Um, he he's basically filled in for her you know he goes to these uh golden state killer conferences he does book signings of i'll be gone in the dark because he finished he helped finish the book for her uh after her passing so it, w- it was a very good book um and a very good documentary so i recommend that to everyone who um who loves those kind of shows and it's got some special uh, interviews with Barbara Ray Venter, who was partially involved with the case, uh, who was able to essentially break some stuff with forensic genealogy. So I recommend that. If you have HBO, watch it. I also want to say that after the Robert and Frida Wheatley episode, we're going to be releasing a bonus episode on Millie Doe. That was the episode we were going to come out with next. But since we were able to get cooperation from the Wheatley's Wheatley's family members, we're going to go ahead and move on with Robert and Frida Wheatley, and then we're going to also release Millie Doe at the same time. So you're essentially going to be getting a two-for-one for for our very first episode, just kind of like what we did when we brought Nick on and we released two 
episodes of the same day. So mm-hmm. very, very cool treat for everybody. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Millie was, Millie was a Jane Doe that was found in Spokane, Washington in 1984 initially. Uh, her partial dismembered remains were located on the Spokane River near the T.J. Menashe Bridge. And then, years later, in 1998, her head was located in a vacant parking lot in East Spokane. A very graphic case, uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, that was, I know that was one of the early cases I think I first started researching when I was, um, when I was in high school, I think. Uh, because somebody had, had done a few blog entries on unidentified uh, women in the country and you just you know I can't imagine what it was like to find that torso floating in the river that one day and you know it's one thing to be desensitized to seeing more photos on NamUs to actually seeing something like that in real life it's mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it's a very graphic situation because like if yeah to bump into something like that or hell even going on the beach and finding a random foot in the sand like that can be Mm -hmm. startling um which that's a true story that's been going on up in uh the pacific northwest for some time where these you know random feet just start popping up on the shore with the tennis shoe still intact and uh it's really 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 uncomfortable but uh, you know that's the thing is that we want to even even though the cases that we discuss might be a little uncomfortable at times, I believe that it's very important that we cover these cases because, you know, sometimes we might be their only advocates. So that's what we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people sometimes would try to avoid necessarily going into that stuff because it's so disturbing and... Sometimes it's a little better to, you know, hear about the case rather than doing your own research and suddenly coming across, you know, an unexpected crime scene photo or, you know, this surprise detail that's all of a sudden Mm -hmm. just, you know, I remember too reading about Beth Doe and it was probably like a year or two after I'd been heavily researching the case. I found that she'd also been raped, and I remember I was I was in tears. I was just so angry that you know they that one person found another way to dehumanize her even more. And mm-hmm. absolutely, and that that is going to be a very disturbing and graphic case that we will be covering uh, sometime in this season. Mm-hmm. So it's that's going to be a very graphic one and there might be some scenes that we're going to discuss in that episode that might be unsettling but nonetheless nick and i have actually seen some of the actual crime scene photos and honestly i'd rather hear it than see it exactly i mm-hmm. i mean I, I knew exactly what had happened to her mm-hmm. but i still i remember that entire day i was just in such a low mood because it was so disturbing and it was only a partial photo of her face too but yeah it was horrifying and never ever should have been released i don't know how the hell it happened but it did (laughs) well you know people sometimes who have access to privy stuff they will definitely try to do a small leak you know maybe even if it's for money like i guarantee if someone bribed the medical examiner and was able to get that photo out there probably 
who knows yeah but at yeah. the same time you know it's it depends on how you do it because they'll still know it was you that leaked the photo if you're the only civilian with access to it so <laughs> yep exactly and also uh one other thing that i should talk about too because we're, we're on the same subject here was uh just about a night ago i was i had decided to open up the laster file again just to see if i missed anything and i somehow missed this file that was labeled richard w rogers which you know was the last call killer out up in new jersey and he was known for dismembering his victims well uh yeah there was some very unpleasant things in there that i was not prepared for and yeah i would not wish anyone else to see what i saw so mm-hmm. um yeah there's that but definitely, like I said, it's better to talk about it and listen to it than it is to actually visualize it. But um, I know some people have very photogenic minds, and they can probably see things clearly even when it's discussed to them. So uh, we're going to make sure that each episode from here on out will have a trigger warning. Every episode from here on out will have a special trigger warning. So um, – that's something that I, I'm really pleased to announce because I know some people are not just ready for that stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just mentioned if you're a kid listening to our show and you you have no parental permission, you don't need to be listening to this. Like, why are you listening to this in the first damn place is my question. Yeah. <laughs> but then secondly, if you're an adult who has very sensitive hearing, like you're not used to hearing cursing all the time, you're not here used to – hearing about stressful situations then this is not the show for you so that's what i have to say about that and um we're gonna we're gonna make sure that these trigger warnings are put into place every episode um but with that though i want to also start talking about sound our auditory systems here on our program now first and foremost i don't know if anyone even notice this but you haven't heard a drop from us you haven't heard anything unusual in our recording we've been pretty crystal clear the entire time well here's something for you folks we've decided to retire the anchor the the anchor recording studio and we've moved on to squadcast which is an awesome soundboard and i am loving the quality so far how about you, Nick? Yeah, I think it's so far it's going pretty well. And yeah, you know, it's the quality of our conversation seems like it's a lot more clear. There's tremendous, there's a tremendous difference. I oh, think. yeah. So I definitely think this was in the right direction for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I completely agree. I, I've been, I've been looking for the best soundboard to start doing recordings like this that I didn't have to deal with drops or anything because when we were using the Anchor board, I didn't realize that the Anchor app was not compatible with external microphones. So we would be recording about two hours worth of audio only to hear cutting and dropouts in the middle of the show after mm-hmm. I would review it, so we would have to keep re-recording and re-recording. I think that ends today, Nick. Yeah, let's hope. I know. I mean, this is our second try for this episode, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's hope it works. 
Oh, absolutely, definitely. It, it and, and I'm I'm excited about it. Um, and like I said, that that's going to be part of the the new quality that we're bringing to our listeners. So we want to make sure that everybody understands you're going to be able to hear us finally. And when we talk together, like when Nick and I are having to say something in unison, I don't think you're going to worry about any kind of dropouts either. So that's that's a good thing. Um, also, we're going to have new music on the show. Uh, I was able to work with this really talented composer named Zach Bebo, who lives in Austin, Texas, and he's been working on our new theme song for the show and i'm pretty excited about it i finally got an opportunity to listen to listen to a sample of it and i believe you did as well Mm -hmm. um it's gonna be really really awesome i think yeah it's catchy so i think i think that'll be a good fit for us for sure yeah it's gonna be fun i'm i'm pretty excited about it and He's still working on it. He's tweaking it up a little bit. And we're going to do some new things within the podcast. Like we're going to actually start adding music while we're talking too. Like on certain specifics. Like when our discussion starts getting a little intense, we're going to add music to it. So I I think that's going to be be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because music can definitely bring a new level of intensity to anything. You know, it's... Like, if you mute the audio for Titanic while you're watching it, and, you know, it's the part where, you know, Leo gets pushed off that plank of wood and there's no sound, you know, it's it's a lot less impactful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I just remember that scene. I'm like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, you know, that, that'll still be one of my favorite movies of all time, despite, you know, the everybody's arguing whether or not he could have fit on that plank but as you know james cameron said that's not the, how the story was that's not how the story goes so you know i guess right and who I mean, to say that it was an act like like i know the story of the titanic was real but was that particular story real it was not no <laughs> that's that i see she still could have saved the man damn it <laughs> <laughs> He, she didn't have to drop him like that. <laughs> well, anyways, but yeah, so that's the thing is we're going to start adding music into the show. Um, I will describe it for everybody, though. It's kind of like uh, if anyone's into the synth wave music, uh, there's a band called Dance with the Dead. It's definitely heavily influenced by Dance of the Dead. But it's kind of like got like um, tubular bells meets Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. It's gonna be intense stuff. But yeah, so Nick and I we have a really awesome goal for our listeners, and we're going to try to start getting content out pretty quickly to everybody, because you know when we were doing our episodes, we were getting maybe one or two out a month. But our current goal is we want to try to get at least three episodes out for a month. And maybe four at the most, but we want to try to average it out at three. Now, our plan is that we want to make sure that we're telling you guys the right story. So we don't want to necessarily rely on the internet or newspapers to tell the story. So what's going to happen is Nick and I will be making FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, on each case that we cover. 
we want to try to get the police files on each episodes if we can or something to do that that helps with our show but if we can't get that of course we would have to rely on the news of the time but to make it a little more realistic for our listeners we want to make sure that we have the crime scene information photographs reports diagrams stuff that will help our listeners understand what we're talking about and by photographs i mean basic crime scene photos where we'll either censor out anything very specific or you know photographs of the grounds even in recent times like you know we might do a snapshot from google earth or something and um help you guys get a visualization of each episode but we want mm-hmm. to make the program very very uh detailed for you all i think we're going to have a really good podcast program mm-hmm. and um you know making sure that we get the full details of everything and making sure that our listeners know what the hell happened mm-hmm. um and then also i want to talk about our youtube program our plan is to release simultaneously on youtube the same day that our episodes go out on the podcast now that's another thing about true cold case files that i forgot to mention about true cold case files are the old episodes of true cold case files will be archived on youtube and we're planning on making sure that every single episode that we have on true cold case files is on youtube before we remove the true cold case files podcast channels on the each apps that we're on uh, and we demonetize it so uh, we're going to be making sure that each episode is available to everybody on YouTube. And another thing I want to talk about, too, is the comments section. And this is something I want to seriously address for a minute. Now, I had to fight with myself to see if we were going to keep comments on YouTube, not just for true cold case files, but also for the From the Vault episodes. And I've decided we're no longer going to continue comments in these episodes because we have people who find it funny to, you know, add hurtful comments or to add comments that do not help the case whatsoever in the section. Uh, And it's unfortunate that, you know, people can be real assholes when it comes to voicing their opinions on our episodes or stuff like that. And, And there's another thing that people have to understand that, when we were doing true cold case files, we were an up and coming podcast program that we didn't have the best equipment there was at the time. We didn't have these fancy microphones or we didn't have a fancy soundboard. We were working on what we had and we wanted to make sure that people understand understood that Nick and I were serious about talking about these cases. And we don't like it when people just go out of their way to do stupid stuff like that and they do it quite a bit on apple as well on the apple podcast section because they know we have no control over that since our podcast is owned by anchor we can't just go into apple and start deleting negative comments because you know we don't have access to it so people can see these comments and it's really really unfortunate um and 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 it and it does not help future listenership. So 
we've decided just moving forward, we're no longer going to allow comments on YouTube. Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable measure to take. I know a lot of users on the unidentified wiki were not happy when um, I eventually removed that ability for them to comment on cases just because it was starting to get out of hand. You know, there was... There were uh, some people who were claiming to be relatives of a John or Jane Doe, or even claiming to be a long-term missing person when they were not. And it was just, it just got to the point where enough was enough, and it was time to really do something that would make the site more reliable and kind of filter out anything that wasn't necessarily related to the cases themselves. And I think that was, that's, you know, the right move for us to do with the podcasts as well absolutely yeah absolutely so i mean that's why you know going forward no more comments but if you guys have something to say about the podcast itself you can still comment on facebook we're still we're still going to be on the same facebook page but we're going to change our handle and we'll let everybody know what that will be on the first episode of uh from the vault uh we're going to allow people to just do that so you can still come over to facebook comment on the page or if you had a private or personal situation while listening to this episode or future episodes feel free to message us privately we'll be happy to address your concern or answer any questions that you have uh that that's something that we take seriously is the quality of our program we don't want to necessarily offend people like but, I mean, obviously it's going to be an offensive episode, especially if you're not used to this kind of stuff. But if you felt personally attacked or personally offended by one of our episodes, reach out. See, Let's see how we can make that right. How we can make that right for you so you still listen to us. But otherwise, if you want to be that asshole who continues to just make fun of us or... Or, you know, comment something very <coughs> negative when it doesn't help anything at all. Then go fuck yourself. I mean, that's just one person we don't have to deal with. Bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that that's all I have to say about that. So uh, we, we can only hope that uh, going forward we bring nothing but positive comments and positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also want to move on to another subject, uh, and it's going to be one of the last subjects I want to bring up, is our interviews. Now, earlier, Nick and I were talking about the Carl Koppelman episode, one of the best episodes of in-depth that I've listened to um, compared to the rest. Although, you know, that's no disrespect to the previous guests because those were good episodes as well. Yeah, uh, but like I, I honestly I don't mean to interrupt, but I listened to the Todd Matthews one months ago, and that was a really good one as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was and he was fun to talk to as well. Yeah, like, I really enjoyed the conversation with Todd, and uh, you know, even after we ended the con the the interview, we still talked for about a good forty five minutes, and he gave me some really great advice about these podcasts, and that was that when we record these episodes, that's us. This is our program. We keep that. And when people like, you know, forensic files or cold case files wants to reach out and use our audio, A, we have explicit permission to do whatever we want with that recording. 
Um, and, you know, some of these interviews, like Stephanie Warden's interview that I did with her well, on the Tiffany or on the Camry Mitchell case, that was one of the very first interviews she ever gave to a podcast. Uh, and the same with uh, Rosemary Nora Southward, very first interview with a podcast that she ever did. So these are in the history books. And with that, we're going to carry over the in-depth interviews to our new program. So those are not going anywhere. Uh, where So we're, they're going to be coming over to uh, from the vault. And they may still be listed under true cold case files, but just note that that's not who we are anymore. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. But they will be carried over to our new program, and we can only hope that our future listeners and our current listeners who have yet to listen to it will listen to them and enjoy them. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and another thing I kind of want to touch up on while we're on the subject of interviews is we're going to do something different for our episodes of From the Vault. And that's going to be incorporating interviews in our shows. Like, we may still do like a full uncut release of these interviews that we do with professionals, victim families, stuff like that. But we want to start using clips of the interviews in our show because it also gives our listeners an idea of what we're talking about. And you're hearing it right from the mouths of the people involved, whether it be the medical examiner or a police officer who investigated the crime or the mother of a family member whose child went missing, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're pretty excited to bring that feature to the new episodes. I think, you know, that's what a lot of other um, organizations or what other programs have done, you know, mostly with TV and that sort of thing. But um, I think that'll kind of bring us up to that same level where, you know, we're also where it's not just us talking where we have a guest who was there or was a family member or that sort of thing. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's going to be a very interesting experience for us when we do these recordings. A very interesting experience. Um, but yeah, so one more thing I do want to bring up is uh, is that our sponsors are going to say are, are going to stay the same. Uh, we're still going to have Anchor as our main sponsor. Uh, they've been very generous to allow us to use our podcast on their program and uh, not charge us anything. In fact, if anything, you know, they're helping us out. And then we're going to still stay with Crime Watchers, and we're going to encourage our listeners to go to crimewatchers.net, www.crimewatchers.net, because everything that we discuss here on From the Vault or True Cold Case Files, you're going to find that topic in crime watchers it's going to have its own thread and you'll be able to easily find the links that you're looking for for these episodes we encourage people to just to just join in on the conversation talk about these cases and yeah and go from there i mean honestly Mm -hmm. the best way to solve a case is to discuss it in my opinion exactly and that's how you know a lot of cases do get solved with web sleuths and similar forums you know it's you know, us true crime sleuthers aren't necessarily just, you know, big geeks sitting in front of our computers all day. We actually do help. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. We do. And, you know, 
we spend a lot of time going through missing person profiles and unidentified persons profiles. I mean, yeah, we spend a lot of time with that, but we, you know, we also make sure that the police do their end of the bargain as well and make sure that they're doing what they need to do. So, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're not pretending to be police officers or investigators. We just want to do what's right and help and, mm-hmm. you know, be a part of the community. <laughs> so, yep. Um, yep. but with that, folks, I think I covered pretty much everything about our new changes. And it's exciting. I'm excited for it. Nick's pretty excited about it. Uh, we've got some great stuff coming out. Uh yeah, this is going to be one for the books, and I know that once we get that first episode out, I can only hope people start talking about us and really, really get the word out that there's a new sheriff in town when it comes to the true crime podcasting world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, anything you want to add, Nick? Well, I think you pretty much covered everything, so I don't really know exactly what else to say, but, you know, I definitely have a lot to look forward to with what's to come, and, yeah, I really hope we can get a bigger audience and really, you know, get these cases out there that, you know, have been left to collect dust in a file cabinet for decades, so I'm excited. Yes, same here, and, you know, that, and like I said, that's our goal, is making sure that we're, um... Is, is we're covering these cases to the best of our abilities by using reliable resources and getting the story out to you guys. But yeah, and as I said, that this is going to be the final episode of True Cold Case Files. And uh, as soon as I hit the stop record button, uh, the name is officially retired and going into the history books. So uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen... I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of True Cold Case Files and listening to our updates and what we had to say about the new changes. Uh, We're excited to premiere our new episode of From the Vault coming soon. We're aiming for maybe late August, early September. But if there are any delays, we'll let everybody know. And... Yeah, it's we're we're going to have an awesome podcast and and I think people will definitely need to listen. So so with that being said, uh, along with Nick, I'm Jason. It's been a great time talking to you guys. Thanks for listening and we will see you when we become from the vault. True Cold Case Files is a JPF production. Special thanks to Mitch Murder for allowing us to use his music Glass Cities and Best of the Best You can find his music on Apple Music, Spotify and wherever you listen to your favorite music A very special thank you goes to Kimster at CrimeWatchers.net for allowing us to host a thread on their website so that way we can continue the discussion after the podcast Thank you Kimster For more information about our podcast, go to www.facebook.com slash truecoldcase. Additionally, you can find us at Twitter at truecoldcase. Thank you for listening to today's program.